what really happened and what the disciples were experiencing. If you were going to make this up, if you were going to whitewash the history, you wouldn't say, and some of the disciples were still doubting, even after Jesus rose from the dead. But it's an honest account of their experience. And uh, there were still some people who were having a hard time processing this idea that this man who had been dead for days is now alive. They were not bold. They were not naive. Uh, some of them were still trying to process what was happening. But even though some of them were in a place of, of doubt and of uncertainty, Jesus gives them a mission. And you can break this down into three uh, points. I'm not going to preach a three-point sermon this morning, but, but some people will break this down into the, the great claim. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go to all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus, the risen Lord, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he makes this great claim. Wherever you go, any person you encounter, Jesus has a claim over that place and that person because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, so that provides fuel for mission. And it has provided fuel for mission. I can go into any country, I can talk to any person under the guidance of the Holy Spirit about the claim of Jesus. Christ, I can share the gospel and his love with anybody, because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. His Lordship is not recognized by everybody, but that doesn't uh, mean that he is not Lord and King. He is risen, that proves that he is the Messiah. So Jesus makes his great claim, and then the great commission, verses 19 through 20, and then, um, and then the great comfort to know that I am with you always. These statements by Jesus have fueled Christian mission from the very beginning. These are promises of Christ that we can think on. I want to look at what Jesus says, though, in the Great Commission. There are four things that Jesus tells his disciples to do, and by extension, he's telling us as disciples to do these things. Go. Make disciples. Baptizing them. And teaching them. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Now, the center of this Great Commission, the grammatical center, and people who know the Greek grammar better than I do, will tell you that the imperative command here is make disciples. Everything else is subordinate to that. You understand? The, the main imperative verb is make disciples, and then everything else is related to making disciples. So you go in order to make disciples, and how do you do that? You baptize them. You initiate them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, into the community of faith. And then you teach them the commandments of Christ. You teach them. And so the main imperative here is to make disciples. And that's why we go. And that's why we baptize. And that's why we teach. So if you understand that that is the... Um, a mission priority for the church, then that helps us to determine what we need to do and how we need to set priorities. We are called to be a disciple making church. And each one of us are disciples who are called to make disciples. What then is a disciple? What is a disciple? Um, there are various answers to that question, but in Jesus' context, in Jesus' day, a disciple meant a learner. A disciple meant a student of a master, an apprentice to a master. And so Jesus is saying, 
You disciples, you have left everything for me. You have left everything to follow me. You have been learning from me. And uh, now I want you to make learners of other people. Learners of Jesus. And uh, what do we learn from Jesus? We learn the truth about who God is. We learn a new way of thinking about God and about life, about eternal life, about values. A disciple of Jesus learns new truth, has a new way of thinking. A disciple of Jesus has new affections. Their heart has been changed by the Holy Spirit, so their desires are more God, new affections. And then from new affections follow new behaviors, new ways of being in the world. So Jesus is saying, I, I, these disciples have centered everything on him. They are learning from him how to think, how to feel, how to live. He says, I want you to go into the world and I'll make more people who center their life on me. They have given themselves to Jesus in trust, in faith, in repentance, and their life is being changed by Christ. And so that is what we're called to do as disciples even today. So, if we understand that that is a core part of our mission as a church, we are disciples who are called to make disciples of Jesus. Then we can begin to measure what we are doing uh, against that central command, right? We can then begin to think of, is there some mission here going on in the church? Have we lost focus? Have we lost priorities? How can we be most effective in reaching new people who make new disciples? So, um, sometimes, for example, sometimes people will say, what we need in the church is more members. We need, we need to increase our numbers. And that's certainly true in this church. We do want to have new members. We do want to see more people coming into the church. But that's not an end in and of itself. We want them to become members so they become disciples of Christ. Or we want them to join this church, be part of the church, so that we can help disciple them. We want to share the gospel with people who don't know Christ, so that they join the church and become members. But the end is not membership, the end is discipleship. This is the priority. Uh, some churches get very involved in, in social service to the community. And, and that, that is a very good thing. Um, some people start food pantries and outreach to homeless folks. And, and oftentimes, those programs are started with the end in mind of making disciples, but sometimes mission creep happens. And those programs become an end in and of themselves. And the church's identity is built around social programs, and, and for whatever reason, they forget about the discipleship and the gospel part. And they've lost focus. And, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to be that kind of church. We want to ask ourselves, what are we doing most effectively, effectively to make disciples? And um, that means that we can say yes to some things and no to other things. And, and, and that's going to be part of what Vestry is going to be thinking about. Thinking about. So there was a, um, a student of art, an art teacher who uh, his name is Hans Hoffman, and he started uh, a school of fine arts in Manhattan. And he worked with Picasso for a time, so I think he had pretty good credentials. And he actually mentored uh, Robert De Niro's father. So uh, he was there in Manhattan for a long time. And one of his principles when it came to art was this. If you want the necessary to stand out, you have to get rid of the unnecessary. Does that make sense? When it comes to design and art, if you want the necessary to stand out, you have to eliminate what's 
not necessary. And sometimes that happens in the life of the church. Programs can develop, and, and, and they become traditions. We begin to do things because we've always done them. But that begins to bring resources and time and energy, and then mission creeps happen. So that's one thing that we're going to be looking at as a vestry. Uh, I don't have any specific proposals in mind, but we're going to be asking ourselves, how can we best use the resources God has given us the mission of Christ, the mission of making disciples. And as I think about these, these three things that are related to the main thing, make disciples, Jesus says, go and baptize and teach. I've been thinking about where are we strong in those categories, going, baptizing, and teaching, and where do we need to, to, to strengthen our ministry. And, and I think it's in the going part. No, I, I think that means that we are to have an external focus. And um, and this is a season in the life of the church where God is really calling us to that. Uh, because we've been in a holding pattern for the last couple of years, thinking about what's going to happen in the property, where we're going to be. Now we know we're going to be here. All right, God has, I think, made that clear. And if any developers come knocking on the door, I'm going to shut the door. <laughs> Talk to somebody else, God bless you. We've been through that. So, God has rooted us here. This is our community. And uh, your neighbors and your friends are the people God has called you to reach. And we're called to reach this community. We're called to be outward focused. And uh, that's difficult to do sometimes. I don't know about you, but in my life I get kind of my head down and, and busy about what I'm doing and my ministry and my family and, and not always looking up out there at people. God is calling us to look out. And I like what our vestry nominees said. All of them mentioned this in their uh, forms. I don't know if you picked this up, but one of our nominees said, I'd like to see our congregation reach and disciple a younger core of families. That's got to be a priority, reach the next generation. Uh, increase outreach to our neighbors, another person said. And then another person said, we want to see our congregation grow. And it's not growth. For growth's sake, it's growth to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's something we're going to be working on as a vestry. What new group of people is the Lord calling this church to reach? And how can we best do that? That's got to be a simple question. Okay, so uh, we're going to be talking about programs and plans and goals and that sort of thing. But all of us can be involved in the disciple-making process, and all of us are called to be involved in the disciple-making process. The programs and plans are important, but they're not the primary dynamic of kingdom growth. The primary dynamic of kingdom growth is personal relationships where you begin to share the Word of God with people in your life and point them to the Gospel. And that's why I, um, I had us read this uh, passage from Ephesians chapter 4. Let's take a look at that. <clears throat> How can we all get involved in disciple-making? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a strategy. This passage is all about how in the church we can strengthen one another to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. This is what discipleship is about, to become more like Christ, and how the whole body can grow and you know, he says in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the 
people to Christ. And he starts his passage by saying, Christ has given gifts. Christ has given ministers. Christ has given ministry roles to the church to build up the church. And the, the part of that is to be a pastor, a shepherd and teacher. That's part of the pastoral ministry, the shepherd and teacher. And then the goal of the shepherd teacher is what? To, verse 12, equip the saints, that's all of us, for the work of ministry. Every member of the body has a ministry to help build up the body of Christ in love. So the pastor teacher helps to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, how do we all get involved in this work of building up the body of Christ? There's various ways of doing it, but there's a key way here that Paul mentions, and I want to point that out to you. And uh, many of you are already involved in this, because like I but here's what he says in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love. That's the primary way we disciple one another. We speak the truth of God in love to other people. I'm going to give you some examples of that in just a minute. We are to draw in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Rather, speaking the truth in love. He's not just talking about passages at this point. He's talking about every member of the body who is speaking the truth in love. And later on in Ephesians, we'll talk about various ways of doing that. You know, part of that is music and singing and, and words of encouragement. But that is the dynamic of kingdom growth as we all get involved and we understand we're disciples called to make disciples. And one of the ways that we do it is we speak the truth in love to one another. We build one another up with the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give you some examples of how this works out in practical ways. And this is from a, a book by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. And um, I've referred to this book before. I think it's been a couple of years, so I got it off the shelf and dusted it off. Because I really like what this book says about discipleship making and creating a culture of discipleship in the church. I think it works really well for our context, a smaller church. But every church should have this vision. <clears throat> and when I read some of these examples, I was thinking about people in our own congregation who do this kind of stuff regularly. Right just listen to some of the things that they talk about here. How to speak the truth and love somebody else in the name of Christ, therefore participating in this great mission of discipling other people. Here's an example. Jeff is asked by his workmate, Peter, what he did on the weekend. Jeff replies that he heard an excellent sermon in church that helps him understand for the first time what is really wrong with the world. Now, you think that would probably get some co-workers attention. I've got to figure it out. When <laughs> uh, Peter asked him to elaborate, though, Jeff explains why sinning God's judgment plays the problems in our world. And then Jeff continues to pray for Peter that these sorts of opportunities would continue and that Peter's heart would be softened to respond to them. Another example this is uh, parents discipling their children. That's part of this process. Sarah's teenage son is having real problems in high school. And as they talk about it at night, she reassures him that God is stronger and more faithful than many friends can pray for him. Parents discipling their children with the word of God. Another example. Allison is worried about her friend Debbie who struggles with anxiety and has been messing her quite a lot. Allison writes her a one-page letter offering encouragement, quoting a few Bible verses and offering to her Debbie to pray. And then the final one. Claire has been praying for her friend Shirley for months, and she finally invites her to an evangelistic service that her church is running. On the way home in the car, Claire talks to Shirley about the message and does her best to answer Shirley's questions. And that's one of the things we can do as a church is 
like to begin the stage post one about four centuries from the preaching of Mary Evangelist's message and gospel centered message. That would be this Sunday to invite families and to come in. And and then on after church you talk with that friend and follow up with them about what they heard. So if you've got to think about how to do this in practical ways, those are some examples and I know that it's happening in our congregation here at Lewis Church. Let's strengthen it and let's all get involved in this business of making disciples. I think the motivation, the key motivation, so we need to be guess what? I know these are all churches here. Uh, so I'm not saying anything really dramatically new. I think what needs to happen is we need to be renewed in our motivation, in our hearts to do the things that Christ has called us to do. And, and the motivation really is, I think, that the central motivation needs to be compassion for all people. Uh, the motivation doesn't need to be we, we just need to maintain what we're doing in our environment. The motivation needs to be there are lost there are people who are building their families based on the shifting sand of cultural morality, and it's going to devastate their families and their lives. They're not building it on the solid rock of gospel. There are people in our neighborhood who reached the pinnacle of their career and are finding the disorders of life in their homes. There are people struggling with addiction. There are people who face priceless futility. And lastly, our gospel reading was from Matthew, and Jesus looked out on the crowds. On the crowds because they were suffering and they were they were harassed. And there are countless harassed people. And they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we know the great shepherd. We know the comfort of having a great shepherd. But there are people out there helplessly harassed who don't know him. And so the motivation needs to be, and this has been my prayer this week, Lord, I just want a real outpouring of compassion that you have. Because like I said, I want more than that. I want to overflow with I'm going to start where I'm at. Because sometimes, again, I put my head down, I got my work to do, I got my family to take care of. And unlike Jesus, I don't lift my head to see the sheep of the road without a shepherd. So I'm asking the Lord to do a cosmic conversation in my heart this week. Just for the Lord's glory. For his glory. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a role to play in your great work in the world. So grateful for the way that you've demonstrated your love and faithfulness to us. Help us to lift our eyes and see that the harvest is right. Help us to pray for laborers in the harvest field.